Futurecast. Welcome into Missing the Point, MTP Boston. Mike Marcangelo joined alongside by the real DK. I always say the real DK, but it's DK Sizzle. I Damn, am I the real DK? Who knows? Maybe I'm a cop in another dimension. Could be a sim. Can't um, trust anybody. But, you know, this is like you said it before we started this, like two halves, right? You and Bobby usually nail down the power rankings. And Ray and I usually handle MTP Boston. Both are out of service, out of commission. So we have to give you the show. Why not give you uh, MTP Boston? We're going to talk about the Patriots, the Celtics. We're going to start with the Patriots. Uh, they they just suffered another loss, 20 to 17, to the amazing, high-powered Washington Commanders to fall to two and seven. Um, DK, you said that you were excited about uh, to talk about the Patriots. Just before we get into the nitty gritty of the game, what are your thoughts on on this team? Because you haven't really talked about they're not they're not in the power rankings. So I'd really heard your thoughts on the Patriots on air. Um, I thought coming into the season, I was reticent to write them off as like the team that they've apparently turned into, which is like probably a six win team, seven win team this season. Um, like in a in a perfect world. Um actually not in a perfect world. I think you guys should lose as many games as possible. We'll get into that in a, in a little bit. Um, I really thought that their defense on paper coming into the season was going to enable them to do that Patriots thing. And that bill Belichick thing that you guys seem to be able to pull off every year where you're never quite out of the conversation. Um, but I think what's happened since is it's not that the defense wasn't what I expected. It's that, it's that they're impossible to really judge because of how inept the offense is and you know I've, i watched this with a with a few teams across the league defenses in the modern nfl like they need rest you know if you want like you can bend them to the point of breaking them now and yeah. if you if your offense can't stay on the field and you're turning the ball either because you're turning the ball over at a rapid pace or you're you know you're just getting immediate three and outs and like punting the ball away your defense is going to suffer for it. So I, I don't feel like I can accurately judge what like what your defense looks like until you can start actually managing games in the way that I the, that Bill Belichick obviously clearly wants to always play. Like he's always been a game manager on the offensive side of the ball, as with maybe the exception of the Randy Moss uh, Tom Brady year where it was it just yeah. let it off the leash. And that's just like we'll just do we'll do whatever we want. It really always was like you can't give Brady the ball with X amount of time left on the clock. You can't because he'll manage his way down the field and he'll he'll pull it off. You can't uh, you can't see the field with your offense was it was a was a big, I think, kind of check mark for the early Patriots teams. Um, and, you know, I know you and I have talked about, uh, you know, the Brady versus Belichick stuff this week and like where, where you're kind of where Belichick is sitting in your mind now, fresh off of like these defeats. Um, I guess what I think of this team really is go, does go hand in hand with what, what I think of Belichick. They, the offense looks dated. Like it really just looks like it's not, um, it, it's not keeping up, keeping pace with the modern NFL, the speed of linebackers and the way that, that defensive ends can rush you now. But that's also a little bit of a guess, Mike, because as you say, week in, week out, you don't have the personnel around your first, first round 15th overall. Uh, draft pick QB to really determine like what the issue is. Is it that Bill Belichick's systems, the Patriot way is fictional or is it 
the probably more realistic and likely scenario that he's fit, his failure really came as a GM and the personnel you're putting out on the field and the offensive side of the ball is not enabling you to carry out any sort of system. You know, no matter how complicated or simple it might be, you're like, I don't think you have the guys out there to do it. So what do I think of them? I think they need a full overhaul on the offensive yep. side of the ball. And I think that at, I, I, I know we'll go on to talk about this, but I'm actually not 100% sure QB is where you should start. But that's just a recent phenomenon in my brain. Yeah, I mean, so when you and I have these conversations, the reason why it, it, it sticks to me, and it, I'm, I'm so, I guess, anti-Bill now, is he's picking the personnel. And you see it, you know, now after last year, now in this year, it feels like he was lulled into a sense of security thinking that he could always surround the offense with just, you know, trash players. And they're not trash. Some of them turned out to be really good, but he didn't have to get the, you know, the highly talented players because they'll just figure it out. It, for, for me, as someone who just lives it, right? And, and you, you were, when, when you were on this, uh, on this coast, you lived it too. We always saw that Brady's just going to make the best out of everybody. And Bill just doesn't believe that. He just thought that that was just how the offense would run. And I can't... Uh, I can't fathom how he can look at the last two years, or even if you after they rattled off that seven game win streak in, in 2021. Ever since then, they've been trash, and just not see. We need like a a stud wide receiver, not with a hailing me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I I think I agree with you there as far as. The, the irresponsibility of thinking you can always get away with what he got away with for as long as he did. I mean, I read somewhere, I think this is accurate, but it seems bananas that you guys haven't picked in the top 10 since 2006. Is that true? Uh, 2008, I think it was Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo, who's like yeah. now a coach. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that, it's been a really, really long time, right? Yeah. So that, since you've had a top 10 pick and it's like, obviously that was by design i mean we watched it work like we watched that was like the joke it was like dude that guy was a fourth round pick like oh that guy was a fifth round pick and it that can only work for so long like it's it's kind of saying it's signing up to the idea that like basically college scouts and all draft analysis uh are analysts are complete buffoons and like don't know what you know about like what's coming into the league what was probably more likely is you could probably get skill position players that were fourth round players in the fourth round and quality of a fourth round player. And they were probably correctly assessed that way most of the time. But you had the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, uh, throwing the ball to them in the skill positions. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that that's probably a much more likely scenario and you, you no longer have that luxury. So now the question is, is he going to accept that? And is he going to look at this likely top, 10 hopefully for you guys and i do want to talk about like potentially what uh hopefully we can talk about you know potentially what you're going to do in the draft if you keep that high draft pick but you might be top five in the in the draft uh this year and that to me is like uh it's a make or break pick it's like it can really it can change the fortunes of your franchise or it can damn them you know and i yep. i guess the worry and the my guess would be for the anxiety of your fan base, not not what I'm a member of, but one I you know I have close ties to for obvious reasons. <laughs> but if I were in your position to to you know empathize, my worry would be: Is Bill the man to use that top five pick right now? Like no. that's sort of the question you're asking yourselves, right? Like it, like you, you okay? Forget everything he's done. We have to be pragmatic right now. 
is he the guy you want with the final say on who you get third, fourth, fifth overall in the NFL draft? I, I can't see how you could possibly say yes to that unless you think, well, he's had all these low round, you know, really, really low picks. He hasn't been able to pick like this guy or this guy or this guy. Maybe he maybe he will pull off like the, the great like talent scouting of the top five and really figure out. And he doesn't take um, he doesn't take the guy from USC, Caleb Williams. He takes like the next guy. And it's like, oh, that guy turned out to be the guy. Or you, like you said, wide receiver. I, what I would honestly do is probably get Marvin Harrison Jr. and just fucking just call it a day because that is the Bill, Bill Belichick method, too. Right. Where it's like, just get the best guy available. Forget your positional needs. Just get the best guy available. You also happen to need wide receivers. But yeah. You the know, thing about that, though, is is his bill doesn't like tra- trading draft capital. So as it's as it's currently constituted right now, we can get into it, you know, because I think uh, what you said is true that I, I've fully believed that Mac is not the, the the ultimate issue here. Right? I think he is part of the problem, but I don't think he's the overwhelming problem, it, especially when you look at that last drive of the game. He had them driving down the field. He hit Juju Smith Schuster in the fucking hands, and it was a pick. Now, yeah, that was that one. Yeah, I was I was going to say now you can say that maybe maybe it was a bad throw. They, they said on the, on the Fox broadcast that he threw it into a tight window. It's no when they re, when they replayed it, hit it right in the hands, and he drops it. If, if if he's not the issue, and you're in the fifth pick, my assumption is Mar, uh, that Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably going to go like second or third, right probably. to the to the Bears. <laughs> so you're not going to trade into that. What and if Bill's running this draft, he's going to draft an offensive tackle. So you need one. You need one. Then. I'd rather him pay one. Like yeah. He, well, he, honestly, I think the Cowboys left tackle is an unrestricted free agent in the free agency coming up twenty twenty four. So I think you should maybe go for him. Um, right. I agree with you. I think I think blindside tackle in the situation you're in, you go get a, a like a, no maybe not even a veteran, a guy like you know fresh off his fifth year option or whatever yeah. uh, whoever's out there on on that side of the ball that guy a guy that knows to how to play the position first and foremost because like that is that is essentially what you're saying right you don't know if max good or bad because he doesn't have time to throw the ball and he doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to so those are the two things you need to address like first and foremost yep. right um and then you can figure out if max the guy or not um but if you know if you have a four-year or five-year contract in a, in a top 10 veteran left tackle and you have a five-year rookie contract with uh, like a top five wide receiver out out of the draft. I think you're in a really really good position to make a move um, in in other areas while you assess Mac Jones with a, in a fair test. It's a it has to you have to give him a fair environment. Also, I'm not sure quarterback matters as much as it used to, and I know that might be an outlandish uh, thing to say, but I I, I think. My theory is the, with the way this season and also last season shaped out in the regular season, I think we're going to see the first Super Bowl champion, uh, not top 10 QB champion that we have in like 25 years, right? Like even the, the years where like Joe Flacco wins, you, you, it's hard to make the argument that he's an all-time in his era top 10 QB, but that year he was, right? Like he, yeah. he statistically and his playoff runs the Eli Manning playoff runs, the Eli Manning crunch time minutes, like that that was a guy you wanted in like one of the one of the 10 QBs you wanted that season was that guy, right? Yeah. So it's been a long time and like we have the trend bill for jokes like at the ready, but I'm starting to think like if Brock Purdy can put and I know that they're on a bit of a skid, but if Brock Purdy can put together an offense 
um, as as dynamic as the one in San Francisco and uh, Tua can put together an offense as as dynamic as the one in Miami. And if that is really the future of offense is this kind of West Coast spread um, zone run uh, sort of hybrid offense that, you know, nobody can really seem to deal with unless you are like the Eagles or the 49ers or the Cowboys and you can like punch these teams in the mouth. So then it's, you know, maybe the maybe the trench warfare is better. It's a fun debate, but it doesn't really involve the QB at this point. Like Jalen Hurts, I, I don't think anybody would have expected him to be what he is on the Eagles. And right. it's it's hyper specific what he does. It's hyper specific what he does. It's not like your traditional like pocket QB, the guys that have always won the Super Bowl or guys that can like scramble and improvise like the Russell Wilsons of the world back in the day. So that's why I think it might you might not to bring it back to the Patriots, you might not need to address Matt uh, as crucially as you would have if you had this kind of QB conundrum five to seven years ago. Now, do what I also recommend going and get a veteran, get, getting a veteran QB to back him up for once, like a real like not a like who the fuck is Jared Stidham? Like nobody gives a shit <laughs> like Nathan Peterman. Like you don't want the, that. Like there has to be a guy you can pay a little bit more to that will like help him get a little bit better. Like, um, you know, I don't know who's who's out there uh, in, coming up in, in 2024. But like if you wanted to pay some money and like you wanted to take a gamble on Kirk Cousins's fucking leg. You know, and the Vikings don't want to resign him because of what they don't know what he's going to look like. And then you also have Mac Jones there. You know, that might be a, a move because I know his contract's up. Yeah. I know that they loved him in, in, in Minnesota, but that might be something to just sort of start putting together some sort of saleable, like like legitimate offense, you know. So so like when we talk about uh, the draft and so this is what I think is hard for me to do is. I, I don't think that we can that the that the Patriots can run this draft room the way that they need to if Bill is the one doing it. So that's why I think that they do. Well, need you got to fire him now. Then right, you got to fire him now. Like but you got to fire also him don't now. Think the, I don't think you can do him the disservice of after everything that he's done for you to fire him in the middle of the season, right? Like I I do think that Kraft wants to do right by Bill as much as possible. Because what I would do is I would take Bo Nix at, at, at number five. Right, you stash him away for a year. You start Mac. You actually go out and you and you get a blindside tackle, and then you do what the Eagles and what the Dolphins did with their what what many people are saying mediocre quarterbacks is you go and you find a number one type wide receiver and bring him in, and then you know what you have. So it, it, again, the Patriots going to have close to uh, ninety eight million dollars of, of real cash to spend in this offseason. So in my opinion, you can get a number one receiver. If you want to bring Ryan Tannehill up here to have to be a veteran quarterback yeah. since yeah. this contract's over, I get do what that. Saying. Draft Bo next because then maybe you have the next guy if Mac isn't the guy. But at least give him a chance with, with, with talent. And your number one wide receiver cannot be Devontae Parker backed up by Juju Smith. It just doesn't work. Yeah. I wonder too, like, you know, there's so many um, – situations primed to explode with quarterbacks and wide receiver uh combos across the league right now like i know the bengals are doing much better and like they they you know they do this every year where they start a little slow and they get better and better and also joe burrow was a little beat up and, and t higgins was a little beat up so you can see them coming back to themselves but that was like you saw you heard jamar chase like start this whole wide receiver conversation up of course the year that like we should be talking about running back pay the wide receivers are like no me 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 like you fucking Adonis. <laughs> but um it's fine. He kind of says, like, I'm always open. I'm open on every fucking play. And it's like, okay, cool. 
then you have like the very clear path to Joe, uh, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. And it's just like, you can just see Stefan Diggs being like, fuck this, you know, like after a little bit, because it's like, they're re- becoming more and more reliant on him making plays after the catch. Fucking, he's watching this QB make huge high profile mistakes in the red zone and at the end of games and at the, in the red zone at the end of games. Yeah. Um, in, in situations where it's like, you you might he might just be fed up you know and there's guys like that all over the league and i think you could go pay one of them if you got that 98 million that sweet 98 million burning a hole in your back pocket and you go like look <laughs> it's the patriots it's bill belichick or i don't know who it's going to be at that point to be honest but <laughs> it's dry uh, it's, it's the patriots there's a culture um we're going to pay you a lot of money like a lot of money and because you're gonna have to overpay because there's not really another incentive right to be coming to like have possibly mac jones or possibly you know <laughs> uh who is the guy you said you wanted in the draft to stack bo nix yeah possibly bo nix possibly mac jones throwing to you so you're gonna have to overpay a little bit at that position but those guys are out there you know yeah and it, so if 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 phil's running the draft right again if, if you had the fifth overall pick right now and you said that you know that in a good in a perfect world that they could win seven games. That would mean that they have to go five and three for the remaining eight. And I don't think that they have five more wins left in them, right? So that's not going to happen. They're probably going to finish somewhere around five and twelve, four and thirteen. If that happens and and they're still within like the top six, Bill would get a, a, either a tackle or he he would do what he always does and go defense. And honestly, like to your point. If Judon is healthy and good, and Gonzo is healthy, this defense is fine. Like it's 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 a top fifteen defense if, if you have your star uh, rusher and your star corner. Yeah, so you don't I think. So. I mean, I there. thought that coming in. I thought that coming into the season. To be honest with you, um, yeah. That that so, was my first instinct on that. So, so if you can get Bill to say, "Hey, listen, I don't need to be the GM anymore. You guys can pick the players, and, and I'll coach them to the best." That's the best case scenario because do you think that's going to happen? Though? Do you think? No. Do you think not? Take the demotion. I mean, if it just, I, I would take a demotion in my professional life if it didn't come with a pay cut. <laughs> you know, you call me whatever the fuck you want to call me. Just keep paying me the same. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a high, high, it's a high, you know, it's a public high profile position, and there's, there's as much as people don't want to admit it, like you, you, there's no way he's not still doing this because he cares about his legacy. You know what I mean? Like he does. He right, doesn't give a shit about his legacy. But, he wants he wants that wins record. I I bet you he wants that wins record. Yes. That's tantalizingly close, but like maybe a little bit too far. Um, twenty five more games or something. You'd ha- he would have to win seventeen. Seventeen. That's yeah. I mean, you get that. So at this rate, that might take two more seasons. You know, at I mean? this rate, it will take six more seasons for Christ's sake. So you know, <laughs> what you said to him is, Bill, we're not going to touch your pay. And and for from a fan perspective, right. Uh, when we're talking about uh, the Bills, what I like most about Bill is that even if he has a number one, he doesn't abandon all all the other aspects of the offense, only focus on that number one. I mean, they had a 1,000-yard rusher in, in 2007. Wes Walker had 100, had 100 catches in 2007 when Randy Moss was here. Josh Allen and, and Sean McDermott and, and the Bills, they just say, okay, we have Josh, we have Stefan, everything else is just going gonna to work, and it never does. Yeah. So yeah, and that's like, why they haven't supplied him with a proper running back room, and then that that starts to cascade downwards when Josh Allen has to also do all your groundwork. Yeah, and you know he makes those high profile mistakes at the end, but also like, what would he not be in a position to make those if you just ran the ball well at the start of the game, or you had second and third options? Like it's more like uh, it's more like Cincinnati, you know, where I feel like 
yes, of course, Jamar Chase is right there, but I think that Boyd and Higgins are both really, really viable wide receiver two options. You know, you can go to yeah. either of those. Plus, you got Mixon on the ground. So it like it's it's a team game. It's 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 a game where everyone's way fucking faster than they used to be. So you have there's going to be games where your wide receiver one gets locked up. Like it's just going to happen. But at least their best corner, and I was saying this about the Steelers, you know, with Leah watching the Steelers uh, every weekend, I I just, the biggest thing that's happened to them is, is Deontay Johnson coming back. Not because he has been prolific, it's because uh, it their, their cornerback, their number one cornerback on whatever team they're playing is no longer deciding to pick up Pickens, and he can actually move around and start, like, causing you damage in the way that he's, like, built to cause you damage. I mean, I think the same thing is true of Juju Smith-Schuster. Like, you you guys are putting him in a position where like their best corner can go like, yeah, I'll take Juju. Like that's not fair. <laughs> it's not, that's not like where, that's not where you, where he is right now in his career. Like maybe his for his rookie season. And I think his sophomore season, he would have been a really, really good wide receiver one. But like, obviously we've seen since that injury that he's not the same guy, but I did see him play a part in Kansas city very effectively and very in very big moments down the stretch for them winning a Super Bowl last year. So I can't bring myself to say, He's the problem. The problem is that he's your, you know, Kendrick Bourne Number is your one. wide receiver one. And he's good. I think he's good, genuinely. But and he's a hard worker. And I, you know, he would be a great wide receiver three. And Juju yep. would be a great wide receiver two and or a good wide receiver two. But you need that guy. You need him. It's 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 almost it's the most important thing on an offense. I mean, even look at the Chiefs, like they were able to make Kelsey that dude, but when when their whole wide receiver room went to fucking just poof. And, you know, Tyreek Hill starts and then all of a sudden they just don't have anybody to throw the ball to. They got fucking Kadarius Tony to throw the ball to. And but you, they still have Travis Kelsey. So like, there's still this force because like he can do a pretty decent like ideally he's your second. He's your second option, which is unbelievable. Right. right? But he can do the wide receiver one job. He can have that production. But then you look at, you know, the, uh, the game this weekend, they they shut him down. Right, which made the Chiefs a lot. It made it made it a lot harder for them to score, but they still figured it out because they had Pat Mahomes. Like, yeah, but it's to your point. You know, it's like it's it'd be, when you have this guy that can be prolific on offense, even even if it's a Derrick Henry, even if it's a, just a fucking sick running back or something. Like, I again, I think Ramondre is really good, but I don't think you can put, hang the fucking albatross of the entire offense on him. That's not fair, you know. But no. I mean, look how much better they looked with him producing. Um, I know, admittedly, in a loss, but I mean, look how much better the offense looked with him just producing. And then that puts Mac in a position to be able to actually walk down the field and do some shit, you know? Right, because he's uh, Mac Jones is a, is a great play action passer. And when, sure. the, when the defense uh, sees it, you, you know, you got to make the play action work. Right. Like you have to be right. able to establish a ground game for that to work that every every sixth grader playing Madden knows that. So right. it's like, you know. It's like Ray and I were saying early on in the first couple of weeks when everyone was like, well, this offensive line has only lit up one sack in three weeks. They're actually pretty good. It's, it's, it's like, well, if you look, Ramondre Stevenson is averaging 2.8 yards a carry. And I said it before, I'll say it again. He did not forget how to run. That is mm-hmm. an offensive line. So 100%. if he's gone, if that threat of him is gone, and, and now Mac has to throw 40 times, I mean, if Mac throws 40 times a game, it's a win for whoever, whoever we're facing. I mean, I, I, I would love to see the kind of offense that everybody has in mind for Mac Jones, like the, the high efficiency Jimmy Garoppolo game, you know, like I, I think that you could see a Patriots win with an, with 18 to 23 passes from Mac Jones, but he completes 70% of them. Right. I think yeah. that's like, that's what a Patriots win looks like uh, in, in his box score. 
you know? Yeah. But I, and, but in a hundred yards rushing, at least, you know, not right. from, obviously, but like from no some, from someone, from someone on the, on the field, a hundred yards rushing from some collection of people, even, um, jet sweeps. I don't know. I know you guys are averse to those, but like you get that, you get those going and you, and you just, you, you move it along the ground. I mean, that's the kind of team that you have to, you have to be. It's funny you mentioned it though, or jet sweep, because I, we always used to say like, uh, if you put Mac on the dolphins, you put Mac on the Eagles. No, the real test is if you had put Mac Jones on the Raiders with that offense as it was with Josh Jacobs, with Devontae Adams, and with, and with Jacoby Myers, I would say that they were probably right now a six-win team, not a Are you talking about three. with Josh McDaniels as the head coach, though? Because I don't know how true that is or how good of a litmus I, test that would be, to be honest. With, with that offensive personnel, I don't care who the coach is. I think that, that Mac Jones would be a better quarterback in that system than Jimmy Garoppolo. I do. Mm. They'd have more wins. Obviously, first of all, Jimmy can't say healthy, but that's a whole that's a whole other topic. I know, but oh. Jimmy's also proven like he's proven he can go when on healthy. Like, he's high, great, high level. Like if it's a health issue, why you would take Jones over Garoppolo? I would totally understand that. But I think that like if you're talking like the best version of both QBs, as far as like what we've seen, I would it would be, I would be hard pressed to turn down Jimmy G uh, between those two, um, just because I just think he's hit higher highs. You know, yep. and and there, but I do get why you're comparing them. Like everybody understands why the comparison is coming up, right? Everyone understands why the Brock Purdy comparisons are coming up. Like it's it's a thing of like you're not saying you're hoping that he can turn into uh, Tom Brady. You're saying like he can be a system quarterback if we put the personnel in there to actually carry out this system. But you also mentioned to me on the Discord. I wonder I would check your um, opinion on this, like in a more nuanced setting. Um, you said like the, I, you think the Patriot way is, is a myth because, you know, Brady was able to make that work because of how good he was. But, you know, you essentially I'm paraphrasing your, your yeah. uh, opinion on it, but I, it's like, how do you know if you're, if you're, if your players couldn't possibly pull it off, even if it was the real thing, you know what I mean? Like, how do you know if it's, it, cause you got to put like, it's like a snake eating its own tail. You have to do something. Like at this point, you know, like it was a little irresponsible to come into the season like this, I think. And like, I think that's another kind of kind of flame you can put on Belichick. But maybe they're tanking on purpose. I don't know. You know that no. He could be like he could be 3D chessing it. <laughs> no. no, so but that, that door number three is not, not an option. That's, that's, that's not. No, it's not even a door. That's not there. But like to give you the explanation of the Patriot way, I think I'll do better spoken word than, than written sure, word sure. is. That whole philosophy works better when you have a guy that's being regarded by everyone else in the league as the best, and he's taking the shit that Bill's giving him. So now you know, well, if he's going to take it, everyone else is going to take it, right? Mm -hmm. And he did it for so long. And I would think like the first couple of years, people came here to, to win championships to play with Bill and Tom. From like 06 on, they came to play with Tom. Because they didn't, yeah. win, they didn't, they didn't win anything from, from, from 04 to, uh, to, to 14. So they were just trying to get people there and they could do it. And Tom would say, listen, I'll take a pay cut. You come here. We'll win. Bill never took a pay cut. Bill got paid more and more every year. So the yeah, coaches was coaches money, though. I mean, GM, he's twenty five million dollars a year. There's not been one player on the Patriots team in the last 10 years that has made more than him. You cannot well, say that about any other NFL organization. You can't. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But he kind of earned it. I, this is my only point. Like he right. kind of did earn it. You know, but then he never found. No, now in retrospect, guy. I know that the value is falling. The f value on 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 this money is falling off as time goes on. I get that, but that's what happens in with these contracts in football. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 
here, you're here's, front loading the value, you know. Here's what I know. The Patriot way never worked with any of the assistants when they went elsewhere and only worked here when Bill and Tom were together. So did once they, Tom left, did the they Patriot way was gone. They, are you 100% sure that that wasn't? And I understand what you're saying where it's like it, they could, if that system was so tried and true, like Belichick would have a coaching tree as successful as Andy Reid's or Bill Parcells or, you know. Um, or, even, or even fucking Mike Holmgren's. Yeah, or Bill Andy Reid is, from, or, is yeah. from the Mike Holmgren coach, uh, coaching tree. Sure, sure. So I wonder though, is like, is it also true? And this is what I, why I was talking about nuance with you in the chat. It's like, is it also true though that there's guys that belong as offensive or defensive coordinators or special teams coaches or or whatever that role is, and they're not cut out to be head coaches? And and it could it also be true that this Patriot way is a system that does exist and does work, but it was just it could only be implemented by a man with a very specific personality and a very specific set of, of uh, values about the game of football. Cause that to me reads like what it was or like, I mean, I understand you positing this cause I've never thought about it the way that you're, the way that you're presenting it, to be honest, what I was always, what I always thought was, yeah, because he's basically spent the majority of his coaching career doing favors for pals of his and letting their idiot sons like walk into his uh, coordinator room. And he just has the confidence to, sort of put the whole thing together now obviously that blew up in his face in a major way last year because you can only go you can only go so far with that when you're putting uh certain certain people out not mentioning any names in the offensive coordinator role um when he wasn't even good as a defensive coordinator so that seems like not really the move but um but like you know i guess to to, to not belabor the point too much it's I, I just always thought yeah well of course josh mcdaniels can't do that because when he's in daddy's office He's really good at drawing and wow, your art is so good. Like way, way to go. And then when you try to go to art school, everyone's like, I don't know who told you this was good, but it fucking isn't. And it, it was all Belichick being a mastermind. I mean, I know that they're, they're two kind of extremes of the same question, but that's just how I always thought about it. It's like, yeah. you're so lucky to work for that guy. You couldn't even, you weren't even smart enough to take his fucking take, take what you learned there and like apply it somewhere else. I think both things can be true, right? The Patriot way could only work in New England because, in my opinion, Bill never had to worry about the offense because he had a guy like Brady that would stand it up regardless of the offensive coordinator there. And all he had to do was keep putting wrinkles in the defense. And every single year, he would iterate off that. The assistant coaches that left couldn't figure out the personnel on the offensive side of the ball. They never had the same quarterback as, you know, Tom Brady. That's obviously hard to do. But then they also could not do the defense. So it would always fall apart. But I think, it, in, in my humble opinion, that, uh, that we, myself included, uh, overhyped the Patriot way because we just assumed that Bill had built this offensive and defensive scheme that would work and Tom was helping it. But he did. But he did, though. Like, but, the thing is, is, like, that's Char the thing Charlie, that's... Charlie Weiss built it. That was a Charlie Weiss Bill Parcells offense. Yeah, the offense. The no, but like I sure. I mean, I get that uh, on some level, but there was things that 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 Bill Belichick said. We're talking about just the offense. Like if we're putting to the side that we agree that he had a pretty much foolproof defensive system like in place that he would just add these wrinkles to, like you said, and he would add like very specific personnel that he would like kind of work around and like make the Gerard Mayo's of the world like one of the best at their position because he asked him to do this very specific job. And I think he, I we agree that he had a great mind for that. 
And I pay extra special close attention to the defensive side of the ball because that was what I think the culture of my team should be as well. And I think, yeah. or like has been in the past, and I think should continue to be. And that's the, that's the side of the ball. I always want my team to be good, um, to be honest. And like, I was always jealous of your edge rushers. I was always jealous of your, your secondary more than anybody. I was always jealous of the guys you had playing the safety positions um, because I thought that since the, the Ed Reeds, the, the you know, early 2000s uh, Ravens of the world, like, and, and uh, with obvious exceptions being like the Steelers and Troy Palomalu, but they kind of ran a very different, ran in a very different way. I really like this sort of hard hitting, always finish your tackle style. Um, you know, stop the run, run support style of the safeties that the Patriots uh, always had. Like they weren't always necessarily like ball hawks. They weren't getting like crazy interceptions and pick sixes. But it was like, if you get to the guy and you're going to tackle him, it's going to be in the open field and you're going to have to finish that tackle, you know, and they always yeah. would. And they would always hit hard and they would maybe maybe force a fumble, whatever it was. But I was just like that. And that was that do your job approach. Right. What I'm saying is he definitely built in the same sense, a very unique offensive um, game plan, especially during the. The, the peak years of not even Randy Moss, but like for me, the best offense um, because it resulted in championships that I ever watched that you guys had was, was the combination of Welker and Gronk and some sort of serviceable running back to like support Brady. And I think then you had like, you know, wide receiver twos and wide receiver threes around, you know, that maybe one year to be Hogan, maybe another year to be uh, Edelman, you know, like all these, that kind of configuration. There was a thing we were just talking about recently. You were automatic in the red zone. Like, I've never seen anything like it. Like, that, this is the biggest problem that almost every team in the NFL has right now. Even the good ones, they suck in the fucking red zone. So, this is the, it feels like every team that gets down into the red zone, no matter if they're good or bad, there's like, well, I don't know, Mike, they've been struggling with uh, some red zone this year. Let's look at the statistics. And it's like, that's the issue that was so many teams had and you guys were automatic at it like you like Wes Welker would just stand in the slot and then turn towards Tom Brady catch the ball and walk it in and there was some for some reason nothing anyone could do about it I, I don't know why or how like nobody could figure it out nobody could 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 leap or or time the the play um, or that like back shoulder he had like or or just hitting Gronk over the middle because he's so much bigger than everybody else like you were automatic in the fucking red zone. And those were, that was a unique style of offense. There was no one else that would have had Danny Woodhead producing at the level that Danny Woodhead was producing. It's just, it's just not, he, he wouldn't have been as good on any other team in the era that he was in his athletic prime. It's just a fact. Like, I, I wouldn't hear an argument against that. So, I mean, it's a fact I can't prove, but I'm really sure. And I think you agree. So it's like, come on, man. Like, he got a lot out of like, what? all right, fine. Maybe, maybe you can have criticisms of, of, some of his X's and O's being being coming from like one of the better built, uh, you know, East Coast offenses in the history of the league. I can see that. But what about his man management? What about his interpersonal, like making players better? What about spotting talent in areas that, you know, this all happened? You know, I watched it. So it's like we can't do revisionist history on Bill Belichick because he's because he aged out, bro. That's I think I'm really sure that's what happened. Like, I just think the league left him behind a little bit. And it's like he stuck around for like a couple years too long, maybe, you know, like maybe chasing that wins record. And now it's sad. Now it's fucking sad. And so, I, I don't so, like it because I respect greatness. And I'm, so, I'm not even a Pats fan. I'm on the fucking MTV Boston <laughs> are defending Bill Belichick. This is absurd. But Well, just the offensive prowess of Bill Belichick, because sure. the reason why I would say is how come there was none of that pre-Brady in Cleveland or even here? And there's been none of it post-Brady. Because there's no level of magic that you can possess and no level of scale of coaching that you, you can possess to make the Cleveland Browns a good football team. We've just seen that. There's, they're cursed. 
there's there's a there's there's no iteration of people mere mortals that can come in and make that franchise anything more than uh, also rants because it's cleveland <laughs> you know what i mean it just is and i mean you could say the same thing about when he was an assistant coach though you know you could but in the opposite direction it's like well i mean he had success as an assistant coach working for the guys that he worked for and like moving up in the world there and he was obviously like a great football mind you know like that that got these kind of promotions up up through the ranks it doesn't just happen except it does sometimes but it didn't happen with him so so 2000, they're 5 and 11. The exact same personnel comes back the next year, but there's just one thing that happens. You know, Bledsoe gets hurt. They're 11 and 5. I'm going to watch the COVID year and say that they were uh, 12 and 4 in Brady's last year, and then, and then they're 10 and 7 uh, the, the year uh, after. What COVID. about the 11 win Matt Castle season? Does he get credit for that? Oh, you mean with the 18 and 1 roster that he put together? So seven less wins. What? Seven. Less wins without one guy. Okay. Do you? Can I ask you honestly? Do you think that you were going to go eighteen and one again that following year, or were you prepared to win less games anyway? Regardless, just for, the pur- just for the purpose of this argument, let's just say that all things are equal and that they could have gone eighteen. <laughs> yeah, that works again. out really well for you. <laughs> I I would I would posit that w- with the eye test, we all watch Matt Castle do the best Tom Brady impression of that era that we had ever seen. And it was on that same team because he reintegrated into that system. Are we now saying that that, that fact that we all agreed upon at the time that Matt Castle was able to walk in there and do a serviceable job as a probably average to mediocre quarterback. If we're really being honest, do a serviceable job and take it, take them to 11 wins and got fucked by the seeding and the chargers making it in by winning their lousy, lousy division with fucking nine wins or whatever it was and that we all agreed at the time that was because the system was so flawless that one of us could walk in there and do a serviceable tom brady impression for a regular season of at the time 16 games are we we're just saying that that wasn't the case that was just because that the rest of the team was so good It, it wasn't it was no longer bill i just i don't buy it we all agreed i was there I didn't love it. I thought you were going to have a terrible season that season. You didn't. So expl- riddle me that. Riddle me that, Michael. Yeah, you got me on the 11 and 5. I, just, that- I didn't want to bring it up, but I, you, know, you forced my hand because you started hitting me with all these numbers, and I get very confused very easily. Listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just A think, couple more numbers, though. Sure. This year, this year they're 2 and 7. They're taking on the 4 and 5 Colts in Germany, that 930 special, 630 year time. You know that's a home game for them though, because yeah. I heard I heard a rumor that the when they got first got the NFL over in Germany, all the it was all the Pats winning the, sh- the tons of fucking games here. So like the yeah. biggest concentration of fans in Germany are Pats fans, and German fans are great at going to sports. Like they'll be loud. So are Pats fans, and they were Brady fans, which is why the NFL made sure that Brady got there last year. That's great. So we love that. We love they're that. Four- they're, they're, they're going to play the, the Gardner Minshew-led uh, uh, Colts or a 4-5. and five. I like the Pats in this game. Do you really? Yeah. Is it just because you know that I wouldn't, I, I don't like them? No, because I think that Belichick's breaking up the season into, into winnable streaks. I think that Commander's loss was a, was a hit because I think what he really wanted to do was probably lose to the Dolphins, but then rattle off three wins in a row. Commanders, Colts, Giants. I think if you get two out of three, on that run, you now put yourself in a position where you have you have to look down this down the stretch of your schedule and, and think about what the winnable games are. Are they the Jets, 
or the Bills because they're your divisional rivals. So you well, can make def- that game. Definitely the, definitely the Jets. Definitely the Jets, but also the Bills. It's the second last game of the season. I, well, I was probably hoping that the Bills were doing a little bit better by the time because they'll probably have to play their starter in that game. Yeah. But you will also play the Broncos right before that. That's a very winnable game. They will be in full tank mode by that point. Actually, I don't even think they have their fucking picks, so maybe not, but it doesn't matter. You should be able to beat the Broncos, the Giants, and the Colts. That's three wins right there. Now, your more challenging games are the Chargers, the Steelers, the Chiefs, the Bills, and kind of the Jets, but not really. You got to win one game you're not supposed to win. That's all you got to do. You got to so win three games you're supposed to win and one game you're not supposed to win. They they already did that and they won the game that they were uh, they, that they weren't supposed to win against the Bills at home uh, here at, at Gillette. They've lost. What's all to the say you can't beat them again? What's to say you can't beat them again? No, I guess not. It, 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 it would take forty five mile an hour wins for the entire game and Mac only having to throw <laughs> two passes. But they've they've lost all the games that they were supposed to win. They should have not lost to the I fucking know, Raiders or the Saints. I know. So or the fucking Commanders, who are also, by the way. In tank mode. Yeah, that I, mean, I didn't really, I didn't understand it at all because they, they they traded away their two best defensive assets the day before, basically. And like, I found out about the sweat trade from you. Like you texted me that, hey, and I like looked at him in the morning and I was like, holy shit, that's a big asset that we went and just got. That's that's good news, I think. Um, but then they went and won their game. So that was really weird. <laughs> it was like, right. Like, are the Patriots tanking? No, you're saying no. they're not. They're still trying no. to win games. I don't think that they're I I don't think that Bill has enough hold over the locker room anymore that if he told them to tank or tried to that they would actually listen. I don't think that this team it, if you're tanking, why do you beat the Bills? Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Because I listen, I was on this show and I said it was uh, I listened to you, uh, you and Bobby do the power rankings later that week. Like, hey, you, now you're two and five. You beat the Bills yeah. that night, and they, now you got the Dolphins. If you get to three and five with with being three and one of the division, yeah. and then you have the commanders and the Colts. If you get to the bye week at five and five, it's it's a it's a full season. Yeah, you basically did the worst possible thing you could do after that Bills win by losing to the losing either the Dolphins or the Commanders game. You had to win one of those two games, and like the right. likely one was probably going to be the Commanders, but you didn't take them up on their offer to lose to you. So that's unfortunate. Um, but because then now, you can now rattle you off have, the, now, now you, now you can rattle goals. off the thing I'm talking about where you can say okay, Colts. Giants are such winnable games. We can go win those games. But now now it's like, well, you might as well not win those games, right? Is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, if you want... It, it, so now you're, the, you're in the situation where do you want a top 10 pick? Because if, you, if you're going to get a top 10 pick, you, you I mean, I, may, I, maybe 7 and 10 is still top 10. But it, it or if you want to make the playoffs, now you, it's if, not, if you want to make the playoffs... 7 and 10 probably... Was, there's a lot of terrible teams. There's a lot of, I mean... The Patriots have to go seven and one to finish with a winning record. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to do that. No, unfortunately, because of their schedule. I mean, I don't think you're going to beat the Chargers. But you know what? The Chargers lose to everybody. I keep saying the Chargers are good because I think that they have like a lot of really good personnel. But they keep losing games, except to the Bears. But they're just been fucking hemorrhaging fucking games, like in every chance that they get. So you might actually be able to go on a three-game winning streak, and then all of a sudden, what what position are you in? Because you've got five wins. Now you're right? five and seven. Now you're five and seven, and you're going to play. You're going to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers in December. That's going to be a tough ask. I think that's going to be maybe the worst game of the season to watch, just based on those two teams. Oh, that's, that's going to be such an <laughs> offensive showcase, dude. I don't know why I didn't want to watch that. And then you're going to lose to the Chiefs. 
And then you're going to beat the Broncos. And then at that point, you're six, six and nine. nine. And then you say you pull the the win out to the Bills and the Jets. You're eight and nine. You're eight and nine. You could get into the playoffs. No, (laughs) no, probably no, probably no. No, eight and nine though. Like if you're eight and nine, aren't aren't you sitting here going like, all right, there's a lot more positives than I thought. If you get to eight and nine. No, I'm sitting here saying we got we have another year of this because it's just like the NBA. You don't want to be in that little purgatory. You yeah, either want to be in top yeah, five or the yeah. bottom fucking five. Or you can be an eight and nine team if all your guys are like on their rookie contracts and you've like just started building the team. Right. It's like, oh, this is great. We won eight wins right. with like the youngest team like ever. Yeah, we well, can do it that way. But Not after otherwise, you just yeah. Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster to combine three-year, I don't know, let's call it like $55 million contract. I, again, I think that's fine if you like improve your wide receiver room. I think those guys can like definitely do a job. They're just not able to do the jobs you're asking them to do, you know? Right. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, you're definitely, it, it's, it does kind of make your my, my brain constrict talking about the Patriots because it's like, they really are like just going a thousand miles an hour to the middle of the road. And it's like, you got to pick one. Like, you got to win, like, basically the rest of your games. And if you don't think you can do that, then, like, you got to lose the rest of your games. And that's such a tough fucking spot to be in. You know, it really is. Um, That being said, like, I don't know, maybe they maybe they have somebody up their sleeve in, like, the later first round that they think will, like, drop to them. Like, and and they just think that their defensive core is good enough that they want to just try to win every single game and not just lose the morale of of the locker room. Like, it's not worth it. Like they, you know, maybe they think they have competitors on the defensive side of the ball to the point where they would be doing them a disservice. So they have to try to get them, you know, just to elevate them and and keep them kind of, you know, on side and wanting to be here. Um, maybe they just think they have winners in that side and they have such losers on the other fucking side that it's like impossible. I don't know. I'm sorry, man. It sucks. I've been here. I have. I have. It's You're not it's not great. You gave me that. After a motivational uh, speech about how you think they're going to beat the Colts, I didn't think that they're going to. I do think they're going to beat the Colts, Colts, but I think no. That's my whole point is I think they're going to beat the Colts, and I think that that's a bad thing for you. (laughs) Like that's like my whole point. It's like they're going to beat the Colts, and they shouldn't. They should lose if if they know it's good for them, but they're not probably not going because the Colts are awful. By the way, have you watched them? They're bad. They're well. They just got. They just got Jonathan Taylor back. We'll see. I mean, so. I'm going to ask you this question. It's going to sound like a douchey dick question to ask. So I apologize, but I promise you it's not. How do you walk the fine line of still rooting for your team like to, to win, but knowing that they're just not good enough to? Because that's where huh. I'm at. Like I have, Ray, I have the answer. Ray is all like, fuck them. Hope they lose. But I don't, I can't get behind that. That's a coping mechanism, obviously. Right. Like, yeah. I've been, oh, I've, yeah. I've, 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 ex- I've done that coping mechanism in my life with uh, various teams and like it works a little bit actually. But I have the answer. What you do is you still hope for them to win and you just also have the Carolina Panthers first round pick. <laughs> and then it, can you guys sort that out somehow? If you're able to do that and you just watch the Carolina Panthers lose every single week, then you can be like, fuck it. I'll take, like, the sixth or seventh pick with the Bears. Like, just try to win. Show me something. Show me those linebackers you got are, like, decent. Let's see what Montez Sweat has to offer. Like, maybe the secondary is improving. Like, let's get better week on week. Like, let's see how Justin Fields is. But, like, it doesn't matter because the Carolina Panthers are going to lose out. So that's the best position to be in with a, with a with a team that's kind of, like, not so good and not so bad. Like, I don't think the Bears, for example, are one of the worst three teams in the NFL. Just like 
overall. Like, I think I would, I, I think I could name five at least teams that I would be confident the Bears could be, right, um, on, a, on a given day. But they're not even close to the top 10. You know, they're in that horrible little yeah. hell. But the nice thing, we have these two picks. You know, like, that's the nice thing kind of coming down the pipe. Also, I don't, I'm in a similar position to you. I, I don't have, I don't have a definitive answer on my QB. You know, I want to believe that he's good and I want to believe the moments I've seen of him be really good are what he is, but I've also seen him be really bad. Um, but I don't know if he's been in the right coaching environment or or had the right, I, I know he's got DJ Moore this year, so the excuses are lessening, but I get it. You know, I, the only thing that I have that you don't have is I can decide this year on Justin Fields and you can't really decide this year on Mac Jones. Like if Justin right. Fields doesn't come back and throw a great, remainder of the season akin to you know two or three of the games he's played this season as opposed to the other ones then we can just be like fuck it like we got to go get a qb with that high high uh pick but you guys are unfortunately like a season or two away from really being able to assess that um so it's tough it's tough uh i have things um, to be excited about you know that's that's one, the difference so one thing i wanted to run by you it's not really mtp boston but you're here i'm here so i want to run it by you um, I said uh, to Ray back week two, one thing that would, if, I, if I were the Bears and if I was not 1,000% sold that Justin Fields was my guy, for t- I would trade him to Atlanta for whatever picks that they'll leave, like a first or a second or maybe a first and a second if they'll do it. For two reasons, you get more draft capital for the Bears, but also because I do think that Justin Fields in Atlanta would be ridiculous. Like that is the team, that is, that is a team tailor-made uh, for a quarterback that, that can make plays. You got a all you got a stud running back, what should be a stud tight end, and a pretty damn good wide receiver in, in Drake London. He, I think he would do well there. I mean, I because I'm rooting for him. I, as you know, I smashed a keyboard in the 2021 draft when I saw that you guys traded up for him because I wanted him here, and I think that puts both him and you in in a much better spot. Yeah, I guess it's just it would be unfortunate now that we we started to spend to start over like that kind of aggressively like this season especially um i still i'm kind of i think the whole tyson bajan thing is kind of throwing me for a little bit of a loop because it's like he has had he didn't have a good game by any stretch of the imagination on sunday but um against the saints but in watching him play i'm like oh i think there might be like a nugget of something there that like somebody might be able to actually turn into like somebody who who is like kind of a gamer and um and I would like kind of like to see now at this point how that plays out, uh, which is like unfortunate because it looks like Fields is like healthy again. Obviously, ideal world, he just comes back in and lights it up for the remainder of the season. And like, we're good. We just like lock in our, our choice at, at quarterback. But now it's like you have this third wrinkle where I might be encouraged to do what you're saying because you have this Tyson Bajan character who essentially is as much of a gamble as Fields at this point, right? Like you're kind of rolling the dice on either one of them at this point. Like probably Fields has had more good games than Tyson Bajan, but I think Tyson Bajan could put together a couple of good games and like wins. You know, I think he might have the right attitude and like skill set. So now it's like maybe you gotta kind of decide on one. So I if if we did trade fields and sort of just saw where Bajan goes to the remainder of the season, if we want to get another QB, great. But I don't know, man. I don't think it's fair to Justin Fields. I just don't think we've seen like I I just want to see like a whole season with him and DJ Moore. By the time he oh. got hurt, I, I was still undecided. So I just want to see the rest of the season out with Fields. Trading him in the offseason, it'll be a little less valuable. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, it, there might be some. At that point, you, I think you assess at that point. I, don't, I wouldn't do it right now. 
I'll, I'll yeah, say that. Because, because then in the offseason, like your rebuild comes in the form of either, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. And also there's uh, a couple Moore. more teams. There's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a couple more teams that maybe know that their guy isn't the guy and they want to try out Justin Fields. Like I, w- I would be interested to see what Geno Smith looks like for the rest of the year because he hasn't quite looked the same as he did last year. And I think if we're talking about fits for Fields, I think that Seattle would be like a, you know, hype, pipe dream, like number one best option for him based on what, Geno Smith, Geno Smith looked like when he was good. I think Fields yeah. has a bigger arm. I think he's better on his feet, and I think he, I think that Geno Smith might be able to read the game a little bit better than him. But he's just looked weird this season, so they might be out on him by the end of the year, depending on how the remainder of their season goes. So, you know, you could maybe get some real capital off of Seattle that way. Like if maybe if Tyler Lockett came back our way or something like that, you know, like mm, that'd be nice. But we'll see. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I would do it in the off season. All right, out of the rabbit hole and out of the despair, let's talk about uh, the best team in the NBA, in my opinion, the Boston Celtics. 5-0. and uh, they're, they're Obviously, we're recording this on the Monday night, so they're, uh, they're playing uh, Minnesota uh, right now. We, don't, we won't have yeah. the final outcome of that game. They're I'll up 55-52 right now in the second quarter. It's almost over. So l- let's just talk about the things we know about. Uh, they, they blew out Indiana, put up 100, 155 points last week. In, in what I thought was going to be their biggest test in last week's string of games. So are they better than you thought they were going to be at this point, TK? Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't say that they're, I would, I would say it might still be too soon to tell how good they actually are. To be honest, I like, I kind of don't want to get my hopes up too crazy. Like I, <laughs> I was on record with Ray in the first, uh, in, in the last preview I did with him of, of the Celtics coming into the season. And, you know, we were about to, about to tip off the season and I was, I was like 82 and O is my prediction. Lock it in. I doubled down on it in the next show that I did with him. And it's like still alive and well as, as the time, uh, at the yep. time of recording it's, it's we're five and O and there's been things as much better or worse is not what I would, were not the adjectives I would use to describe it. They're different than I thought they were going to be. They look different than I thought they were going to look coming into the season, specifically the Christos Porzingis element of it. Like I didn't, I didn't think I was going to see a seven footer, like blocking three point shots on, I like right. on the perimeter, you know, like I, I did not think that his level of dominance across the first five games that he's been able to like sort of put together with mi- seemingly minimal effort to like integrate into the team has been the thing that ex- has impressed me the most. Additionally, I've also said this to Ray, but I'm not sure we've talked about it. Like my number one dream pie in the sky, like don't think it'll ever happen choice for who our primary defensive guard would be um, instead of Marcus Smart, because it wouldn't have been Marcus Smart. Spoiler alert. It was Drew Holiday. Like he is my favorite point guard. And we went and got him. And I'm just I'm just so in like La La Land, like watching them play. Like I look forward to their games so much because they're so much fun to watch. And I think that the thing that I really didn't expect as far as like my expectations, the theme of your question be my expectations versus the reality of them across five and a half games is how much better Jalen Brown would be with a lower usage rate and yep. how they've figured it out that he is so incredibly effective and lethal and really, I think, uh, you know, his percentages are all just so much better with less need for him to move the ball, right? And, I, and I'm and i not going to buy into the like, oh yeah, because he can't dribble with his left hand or whatever. And I'm not saying we've turned him into a spot-up jump shooter. But what we have stopped doing, at least across these first five games, 
in a very intelligent and mature way, we've stopped asking Jalen Brown to pick the ball up when the play is dead and try to improvise something because that's really not his game. Like, I think you need to get him into a rhythm. I think you need to get a shooting going early. And I think that you have to switch him off like primary defenders and let him bully people with his athleticism. We're able to do that now because they have so many other fucking things to worry about with us on the offensive yep. side of the ball. And he's just able to, like, I think Jalen Brown's game is he's a flat track bully. I think like he, if you, if you mismatch someone on him, he fucking murders them. And I love that about his game, but you can't keep like the way the teams were beating us last year, especially Miami is like funnel him into the zone with like two little crafty guards, just poking at his hands and like trying to get him to, and it's like, it worked. And that turned into, oh, Jalen Brown sucks at dribbling, all oh, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, well, I think that we just went up against, and I think you'll agree with me here, Mike, because this is like kind of the drum you've been banging since we started this whole shindig. I think <laughs> you come up against the Eric Spolsters of the world, and they're like, okay, how do I get Jalen Brown out of his rhythm? Like, how do I not get killed by Jalen Brown? Because like that's what you're thinking about going into these games against against these you know elite teams in the playoffs. So all that being said, I think. We, we, we built strength on strength, which is the way that you win championships. Like we, we saw the good things that we had last season. And instead of saying like, let's go after like our weak points, like, well, we don't have a ton of bench depth over here. We don't have this. We don't have that. It's like, let's just get even fucking better at the things we're already good at, like scoring, like shooting, like, uh, like going to the, going to the rim at will, like stretching the floor, like being longer at every position than every other team. And we can figure out the stuff that we have to figure out down the road. Now, would I still be worried in playoffs? This is, this is why I have to mitigate this stuff because would I still be worried in play, playoff scenarios about Al Horford getting switched onto guards if we're still like switching every, everything defensively? Yes. Am I worried about the bench depth? Yes. So yeah, I'm on cloud nine right now and they are probably better, different, whatever words you want to use than I expected. But I'm still reticent because I know there's still problems. There's a chance, though. There's a chance that those problems, they're so good, one through six, that the problems just don't matter. And yeah. like that, that I think is the most exciting thing. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's going to be, we're going to have 150 on the board by the middle of the fourth quarter. So I, we're all going to sit down. So it doesn't matter what the bench is doing. But yeah, relying on Luke Cornett and Payne Pritchard, not ideal. But will it matter? Who knows? I mean, so. My big thing about, about JB has, has been in the last couple of years is it, it, it became like that, to your point, you knew how to beat them, force him to drive up uh, uh, in, in the lane because they had no one else besides Tatum on the perimeter that, that they were worried about killing them and they could just collapse around him. Yeah, the Warriors Porz did it to us. Yeah, Porzingis do, uh, does not allow an opposing team to do that anymore because if, if you leave him untouched uh, on, on the perimeter, he'll kill you. The he fact that he can kill you from anywhere, he can score at all three levels. Right. He can kill you from anywhere is the craziest thing. You know, it really is bananas to watch. What I wasn't, what I wasn't counting on though, to your point, was Porzingis's defensive game. Though, I mean, I thought that he was just as the, the just as big, big fucking guy that that could shoot and score and and would not and would not press it defensively. But what we've seen through the first five and a half games is that he's willing to play. Like he yeah. will play all aspects of, uh, of the game, and, and if he. Like if he stays healthy and everyone in the perfect world stays healthy, I think our our top six is good enough to make up for our our lack of depth. I think yeah. it is. I still do think we're going to do something, but I I'm inclined to agree with you. Like I, just based on what we've seen so far, I mean there'll be slumps like they they happen every season, um, but and like you know guys will be banged up as it's a long season as it goes. I don't really want any of our guys playing more than seventy games. To be honest, I know there's. The, 
this yeah. whole new load management, like, you know, anti-load management rule. But I think you can figure that out. You know, I think, I think you can max out on that. Al Horford even less, to be honest. But um, I think 72 games is the ideal amount of regular season games for getting into rhythm uh, as an NBA player. And I think we play the extra 10 for money and gate and, uh, you know, NBA League Pass subscriptions. So, because it's basically another month right at how yeah. it averages out across it's like they're just adding a month to the regular season so whatever i know you got to get you got to get your bread up it, it is what it is but um i we do need to wrap these guys in cotton wool if if we're gonna decide to go like that heavy handed in our front six in our top six i mean and just not really worry about our bench you know um but i would love to still see the posey or poe like guys come into the world uh in 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 the celtics realm and i think they're they are probably out there I had this dream the other night that we got Marcus Morris Sr. back, and I was, like, really happy about it in my oh. dream. But I think he might be too old now, so we'll see. I don't know. We need to get some We need to get some presence on the bench. I think it's a lack of presence that worries me, to be honest. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, Ray brought this up last week, and I'm glad that uh, you just mentioned that, too, is, you know, maybe a couple of months throughout, uh, throughout the season, you, you can convince Blake Griffin to come back, because I do think that he loved it here, and, and, and the players I liked loved having it, him. too. Yeah. I liked having him a lot, yeah. Because I I don't know I don't know what he gives you defensively, but he he does give you someone on uh, on the bench that you know he, apparently now he's a thirty eight percent three point shooter, which yeah, right. has been wild. Yeah, and you do that, but if Dwight I, Howard, yeah, like just go get some names that like used to. Yeah, no, Dwight, I mean, Dwight just weeks of loser though. You know, you think he I, I like the second iteration of him. I like the I like the current like the new iteration of Dwight, like the skinny, the skinny yeah. kind of like helper outer. You know. 2020, I, think, I mean, championship Dwight Howard was a, I mean, that's, that's good, right? He, he, he was on the Lakers team that won. Yeah. Yeah. He's a well, weirdo. No, I'll give you that. He is a fucking weirdo. Like, I'm not, I'm not denying that, but we might just be good enough, like, at the top that, because, like, I like JT and, and JB and mainly JT, like, being the leader of this team now. Like, I think that the Marcus Smart leader vacuum thing was true. Like, I think you yeah. can already see it. I think you can already oh. see it. Like, and his, Marcus is, like, attitude being what it was was like good for us for a long time and like i think it i think it did help us more than hurt us over the years but it was time you know it was really it was time like you have to if you're J if you're jason tatum you have to decide to be the leader of this team at this point otherwise you're never going to be seen that way ever you know it's right. just the way it is so i, I think i'm right. recognizing that being smart and mature enough to bring in van gundy and sam cassell and all these guys to just basically like help help build this culture up for this for this push to essentially win it win a championship because if this this iteration of this team doesn't win a championship it's a massive failure like it is yes. a, it is one, one of the all-time like building of a team failures that like anyone's ever seen so you know getting in those old heads and getting in those calm voices and and trying to get joe mazula up to speed with with the responsibility that he has um i think is probably more important than like going to get a blake griffin or a or a, a, a dwight howard or or any of those guys but I think that because we have that in place, and I do believe it, we can go get whoever the fuck we want and just fill out that bench with some men and some, some maybe some veteran minimums and like that kind of thing. Guys who have won before, though, I do agree with you. Like guys who have, who have, you know, maybe are just not up to NBA quality when it comes down to the stretch of the season, but like they've been there, they've won, and they'd be great in a suit in the playoffs, you know, like the Brian yeah. Scalabrini, Sam Cassells of the world. But we have Sam Cassell there, so that's positive. I mean, I also want them to not do anything to mess up this new evolution of Derek White, because I mean, Derek, Derek, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if that puts doing it, but he's 
He's so fucking confident this year, dude. And you can see yeah. everything it's about this game is better. It's definitely the hair. It's got to be. But uh, you would, I mean, Ray mostly, when he first came over here, was like, this guy could be a really important player. And it turns out he, he really fucking is, especially when he yeah. plays confidently. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the thing, I think, as much as I absolutely agree that Ray was the first one to call out uh, Derek White being a great pickup, I think I was the loudest last season when he wasn't on the floor in crunch time and wasn't getting oh, yeah. substantial minutes, like just was not getting substantial minutes by any stretch of the imagination to get him into a good rhythm to be in crunch time. So, and that just drove me fucking bananas because I think he's like, essentially, I think that how good Marcus Smart was at defense was like a little bit of a myth. And I think that like, Maybe the the year he won Defensive Player of the Year, yeah, I think he was producing def defensively at a high level. But I think really why he won that is because his his general uh, percentages just like went up across the board. Like it was almost a most improved player award 2.0, um, yep. all while you know producing at a high level defensively. Sure, but I think I think watching Derek White play defense, watching Drew Holiday play defense, there's nothing I'm like out and out missing about what Marcus Smart was doing here. You know, so seeing him not and I'm going to get back to the point about Derek White's confidence because he can, he builds from there. He builds from his being able to move the ball, being able to be the one in control. He needs minutes to be effective. And like you could all, we all already knew that in the playoffs last year. So the, almost the best thing we've done is clear out the guards to give Derek White the role that he's ha that he has right now and trust him with this responsibility. And it's paying dividends because he's clearly good. But yeah, he needs to be trusted by his teammates. He needs to be heard by his teammates. He's one of those guys. Like he can, his confidence can go, you know, like he is, he is a confidence player. So trust him, give him the, give him the moment, like let him shine when he's going to shine. When it's his turn on a given night, let him go off. You know, I think that seems to be the, the strategy here with, with, with everybody. Um, yeah. Is Jason Tatum probably going to be your top scorer night in and out for sure. But like, who wants to come along for the ride tonight? You know, Drew Holiday's like, yeah, I'll do it. Double, double. You know, the other night, it's like, and I'll, I'll drop 10 assists too. Just like fuck around and find out. And I think Derek White and Drew Holiday compliment each other better than Marcus Smart and like anyone Marcus Smart's ever played with, because I just think he thinks everyone else sucks. So yeah. I just like the, I like the guard room so much better now. I really do. It's the leaner, it's meaner. It's just better. I even with Pritchard being a higher priority choice and not being able to score points in the NBA. That's Bobby's uh, like rookie of the year right there. It's like, don't. Don't harp on him too much. That was a long time ago now, if we're being honest. Like, I yeah. feel like he needs to he needs to start doing it. Was also, it was also like a four-game stretch when he when he averaged 18 points and Bobby was like, I told yeah. you. He's so good. good. He's so good. Like, his rookie year playing for five minutes. He's so good in the fucking summer league. He's so good in the preseason. But when it comes down to it, it's like, no. No. And also, like, the playoffs, like, what are you going to – are you are we really saying – there's no way we're not going to make moves. We're, are we really saying we're going to let Pey Peyton Pritchard play meaningful minutes against the Miami Heat? Do you see what Jimmy Butler did to him? Like it, Jimmy Butler is like was like licking his fucking lips when Peyton Pritchard would come on the floor. He's like, I'm gonna absolutely skin this mule. This is gonna be so much fucking fun. He was borderline insulted when we when we let Peyton Pritchard switch on him that he would like just make him look ridiculous. I'm surprised Peyton Pritchard can leave his house after that after the Miami series when he saw any fucking minutes on the floor. Jimmy Butler just made him his bitch. So I just can't quite fathom. Like, I do think we could probably beat Miami by 30 points a game. But, like, again, it's the playoffs. It's Miami. Like, let's set ourselves up for success, you know? Right. Uh, this upcoming week, obviously, Minnesota tonight. But then they get Philly, Brooklyn, and Toronto. 
who on that uh, who on that slate this week worries you the most? Um, I think if this was last year, I would probably say Brooklyn or Toronto would be like higher on my list of worries because we like liked some banana skin games against teams like that. But this year, we seem to be beating the teams we need to beat effectively and early. And like not letting them back in the game. And I think that a lot of that's down to like the the improvements across the board in the coaching areas, not necessarily head coach, but we've like definitely supplied him with a backroom staff that I think is giving the right advice to the team because they seem to just be making less boneheaded decisions in situations where we're way better than the team we're playing. Um, I'm, I would just go with probably, I'd be interested to hear your answer too, but I would probably just go with the obvious answer. I mean, I think the Sixers are the best of those three teams that we're going to play. I know that we always make them our bitch, et cetera, et cetera. But like getting James Harden out of there, you know, I, I know that they're probably not in anybody's mind for for a championship run. The Sixers at this point, they need to retrust the process and start the process over and try to give and beat some guys to really work with. But yeah, I mean, they're that's the hardest game. Like that's the game that we're, yep. we're probably statistically most likely to lose. And I, I don't think. I don't think we're 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 doing that thing anymore where we get cute when we're playing the Brooklyn's of the world and we fucking lose, you know, or the Cleveland's of the world because and I think we saw that playing the Knicks in the first game of the season like they beat our asses for the entirety of last season and we just didn't let that happen this time. Maybe it's because it was tip up, I don't know. But we were like, nah, we're not letting that shit happen. Um so yeah, it's probably the Sixers, man. I'd say that's the the team I the game I'm the most worried about and the most interested in because I really can't wait to see what Chris Stapps versus Joel looks like. Even if we just quiet right. Joel down, and that means that Chris Stapps is like not even a factor offensively because his whole day is just spent like trying to fuck with Joel Embiid. I'm fine with that because watching him pull up from anywhere he wanted on Rob Williams last year was in the playoffs was very upsetting. And I know he won that uh, series, but it was a very frustrating series to watch, if you remember. Like very, yeah. very frustrating oh, series yeah. because we should have been beating them. We should have 4 0 them. Honestly, we really should have. Yeah. And it was like pretty, pretty unacceptable that we, we lost the games that we lost in the manner well, that we did. So I'd like to go out there and beat their asses, to be honest. Well, I mean, last year, the most, the most frustrating part about that was that we knew that Horford could shut and be down. All, and all Doc did was just switch Horford onto Harden. Every time. Every, every single every time. position. And, and then we just didn't do shot. anything about it. We just did nothing right. about it every time. And Harden just killed. And it was like, well, it's James Harden isn't as good as he used to be. It's like, he's still killing Al Horford from the perimeter, dude. What the fuck? Come on, man. Like this is basic shit, and it doesn't seem but, like we're fucking with the basic shit as much. So I would like to see, I would like to see what that looks like to be to be honest. The, they did cleanse that locker room, and I I think that yeah. uh, Philly came out you know uh, much better without Harden. They get rid of Doc, uh, who good coach. I, I again I've been banging that drum for great a long commentator. Time. I fucking love him and he's, Doris. He's Holy so shit, so good. He's what a so good. what a revelation the commentary in the NBA has been this year. I love that they just cleaned house and they were like, "Fuck it, we're gonna get a bunch of people that are like we think are really good at this." Because like yep. Doris had a little dry run and she was great. She had does have a tendency sometimes to like be a little Philadelphia friendly and like East Coast friendly in general because of like her background. But that can't be helped. I would probably do the same shit. I would I would basically be Tommy Heinsohn out there, so I can't really fucking talk. But. Uh, I just love them. Like, I just love that she really respects the game of basketball and she's really impressed with high-level basketball plays. And like Doc will say shit and it'll come true and you like learn um about the game from a guy who knows a shitload about the game and he's I think he's eloquent and he sounds great. I'm just I'm so in love with that commentary team. I've really been enjoying it. I can't I can't wax lyrical enough about the two of them. So much better than Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. I know Van Gundy's our guy now, so I'll defend him to the death, but still. 
Was he the one that you hated whenever he spoke, or was that the other? Was that the other thing? Stan was my least favorite. Yeah, Stan, yeah, yeah. Stan speak on on basketball was like I I don't understand this guy's forgotten more about basketball than I'm ever going to know. But he sounds like a fifth grader just drawing out his commentary in crayon when he speaks. I don't know what's happening. Um, but as a fellow member of the Mustache Club, I'll defend him to the death too. But I think uh, yeah, he and really drove. Embiid and, and Maxi like that that is a an intriguing combo because I. Uh, Maxi, he he's he sliced us up every time he's played us. Like the last two, he's years. good. I've always liked him. I've re- I've really always liked him. It's just that they're still so unbalanced. Like they still, we still just like w- what's their answer to us on the wings? Like there's, they still have never been able to like at least Milwaukee would be like, all right, here's Chris Middleton. He's gonna def- at least disrupt, you know, one of the two of you. Like oh, we can Miami can switch Jimmy Butler on you guys. Like you or you have we'll make either JB or JT like chase Tyler Hero all series like just run after them for the whole series so that they're not as effective offensively like the the uh Golden State Warriors of the world had like you know Jordan Poole like going around screens there's nobody on Philadelphia that should be able to do that to us in the wings but yet still we find ourselves in dumb switches with them all the time and like letting them take away our best offensive weapons and i just want to see a little uh coaching maturity playing against them i do, i agree with you about him beating maxi but they shouldn't be able to beat us with, with just right. those two guys is my point uh last thing before we get out of here are you are you more impressed with uh, missoula this year or do you think that he's still he's just surrounded by much better talent so we're not seeing a, a bunch of his mistakes and it feels like he hasn't been put in a position where he he could royally fuck up a, a game for us yet but to his credit, he hasn't, you know? It's, I think, still too soon to tell, like you're kind of intimating. Like, yes, he could still definitely be put in that position to fuck things up. I want to lean towards giving him credit that he got over some of the things that were keeping him from, like, using his brain correctly. I think that he was in a full, full-blown fugue state by the time the playoffs came around last season, and he was completely unprepared to be the head coach of the Boston Celtics. And it was, like, so far from his mind of actually coming true that he was as just as surprised as the rest of us that he was in the position he was in and he was just in a full-blown panic like he was basically just having a panic attack every game i think that marcus leaving is another another thing that marcus leaving has done is it actually it, i think there was a little bit of a missoula marcus smart thing going on a little bit of a attention yep. or or something along those lines i i don't think that they were getting along and i don't think that marcus was like moving the locker room with whatever influence he had in the direction of saying like joe missoula is our guy so I think that like we, they had to decide on, I think in, on, in some way, maybe not in a really big blow up way, but in some way they had to decide whether it was Joe or Marcus and they chose Joe knowing they, they can replace Marcus with a Drew Holiday type or whatever, you know, whatever the plan was. But um, I want to give him the credit. I think that he like went off in the off season. This is my hope that he went off in the off season. He was like, stop being a little bitch, like stop fucking panicking every 10 seconds. You know, the game of basketball. And whether you succeed or fail will not be because you were scared. Like it will be, it'll be for any other multitude of reasons because it's very difficult to win championships in the NBA, but you can't, you can't be terrified. And I I think he sort of said that um, over the course of of the season so far and the the preseason, he's been like, yeah, I kind of had to decide to like, not be like a little bitch, to be honest. Um, So I think probably it's probably both things. And I do think that I really am a a firm believer in in the people we put around him are are good people. And the choices we made are very good choices. And there's a lot of experience and a lot of wily, savvy veterans of the game in our in our uh, in our offices right now reporting to the Auerbach Center every week. But I I think Joe Missoula, I think maybe he he just found some found some mental strength. Why? What do you think? You think it's just because Sam Cassell's there? 
and he's just telling Joe Mazzulla and how not to fuck up. Well, I, I think that last year we expected him to learn everything on the job in his first year, in a year that he wasn't even expected to Tough. be the head coach, Tough. right? Still won more games uh, than Imo Doka that season, in the regular season, by the way. Just putting that out there. Yeah, but he just forgot how, or he just forgot when to call a timeout. You know, like he couldn't stop yeah. a run. That was the, that was the most infuriating fucking thing, and, and we haven't yeah. seen if he if he's if he's learned from that uh, this year. But I think I think he's better the, about it. I really do. Yeah, already I do think he's better about it. I also how about Rob Williams like, getting hurt, huh? I was just about to say. I think <laughs> I, I, my last thing about Missoula, it shows a lot about his character that he can be surrounded by guys that 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 would, uh, most people would say are, are better basketball minds. Sure, yeah, and or just maybe even prefer just, to have as the head coach. Like I, yeah. I wanted Sam Cassell as our head coach, so and just take them on the staff and learn from them. But yeah, I mean, uh, for those that uh, obviously don't know, we just learned that uh, that Robert Williams might be done for the year. He's looking at uh, he. he it was a, was it his left knee or his right knee? It was a knee. Yeah, one of his knees. I don't know. I think his whole body's falling apart. I think we fucking dodged a huge bullet. And uh, and I think I think we were all somewhat in agreement. Like I think people there was some a, some section of the fan base that was still in love with like the best version, like uh, highest ceiling of Rob Williams. But like that ceiling had to involve being able to play sixty five games in a, in a season at least. And he's just like not ever going to be able to do that, dude. Like he's just not yeah. not at the level that he's at. Maybe he'll eventually get that knee fixed, but he'll be so fucking like battered and injured that like he won't be the same player. Um, yeah, he's going to be Grant Hill, just bigger. Yeah, it's it's just it's it just wasn't working out, and we moved on. And obviously, we got a crazy amount more for him than we probably deserved. So, and I think that about Marcus too. I think I don't think he's clapped like injury wise. Do you think that he Marcus Smart will retire from the NBA having played his best ever season and his best ever basketball in Boston? Um, yep. I just think that's I think that's a no brainer. So I think you get out you get out high you know you sell high and we did on those guys like really 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 did because and i think that it was really impressive to of them to, for them to recognize it and have and brad to have the bravery to make that decision because it wasn't necessarily those decisions weren't necessarily popular in the offseason but god damn is he is he it, like talking about ray's thing give him the flowers back the flower truck up to brad steven's office right fucking now holy shit that guy did the right thing every time in the offseason <laughs> He did the things that we were begging Danny Ainge to do, but we knew he never would. Like uh, one of the things I love most about Brad is that he doesn't seem to be attached to the players. He just wants to build the best roster. Try. I mean, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge was hardly attached to the players. Fucking Isaiah Thomas, come on. Like, <laughs> but he would. But he would have never trade. Never traded Marcus ever. He wouldn't have done it. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I don't have. I don't have a negative opinion of Danny Ainge. I think well, he, he brought us a championship. Neither do I. Yeah, but even apart from that, even in this era, I think he's responsible for like at this point, like six, still sixty five percent of like the current iteration of our team. So, and like I don't know, I, I every I'm, every I'm other GM was every other GM was going to take Markel Fultz, and he decided he was going to take Jason Tatum. So like for that, we are forever grateful. Forever. The rest is history. The rest right. is history. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, yeah. I, I, I think it's going to do it for for this edition of MTP Boston. Thank you, DK, for for sitting in and joining. Thanks for having um, me. For those out there, stay tuned for the power rankings this week. Hopefully, maybe there's going to be a special guest and me on there. But until then, until then, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> hey, guys. Miriam Love here. 
and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Electric acid.